This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 339 of the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our sponsors this week are by Meadhead D. Wormers and Coragem. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the Stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own flight swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop And this is Helena B. And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network. You know, one of the things we haven't talked a lot about on the morning show or the other shows here, because we all, all, most of the hosts live in the South and where it's not snowing, is just how crappy it is <laughs> in New England right now. And of course, Helena could speak to that because she lives in Rhode Island, but you aren't even getting the worst of it. I mean, I looked at pictures of Boston and Massachusetts today. It's just ridiculous. The snow is piled up to the first floor, to the, like the second floor windows on some of those townhouses. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a funny story. Buck and I went into Boston last night to go see um, a concert. We went to go see... You went uh, to Boston to try and park? <laughs> well, that's... That that was... It, it ended up, we got pretty lucky. But So we went to Somerville. There's a really great um, music dinner club called Johnny D's. It's a landmark in, in Somerville. I and that's around... That. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's around near like the Tufts University campus. And Harvard is just on the other side of Somerville. So it's a really cool location. But if anybody has ever been to the Boston area, the roads are narrow to begin with. When you add three and a half feet of snow, it was like (laughs) some of the roads were like just as wide as our car. So finding a place to park was a little bit challenging, but we did find a public parking lot. Walking down the sidewalks was challenging because it's literally the width of a shovel. And it's only because there's just no place for the snow to go. And the snow's like piled over your head, right? Way over my head. Like you could have <laughs> built, you, we could build snow caves till the cows came home. So we had a lovely time. We went to go see a Grammy Award winning American Roots singer. His name is Mike Ferris. I highly recommend anybody listening to this show, Google Mike Ferris and listen to some of his music. It is absolutely amazing. Super bluesy. And he's from Bristol, Tennessee. So he had flown in, he'd been at the Grammys last weekend, and he flew from L.A. directly to Boston. (laughs) So he was like, holy crap. (laughs) Why am I here? (laughs) Not only is there, you know, the snow piled up to five and six feet high, but it was 20 degrees yesterday. Oh, and you're supposed to get really cold this weekend, right? Tonight it's supposed to be like four degrees, and then tomorrow the high is only supposed to be 14. I mean, it is just gross out. So the show wraps like 1030, which isn't too late. And we get in the car and it's about an hour and 15 minute drive from Boston to our farm here in Little Compton. And um, we're on the South Southeast Expressway, which is you know, the, the major route going out of Boston, southbound. And 
these dump trucks, huge, huge dump trucks are passing us on all sides. And they're full of snow. And Buck's like, what the heck is that? Where are they going? Are they building some kind of, you know, major snowman or something? I said, no, they're taking the snow to a place, an off-site dump location, because the city literally does not have the room for the plowed snow. They well, have to they put it into dump trouble trucks. a couple of years ago too. Remember when we lived up there? They were just they finally because we had so much snow. They finally resorted to just dumping it in the harbor. In the harbor, yeah. yeah and then they got in trouble for the EPA had problems with that. Yeah, uh, there was a lot of a lot of. I stuff mean, it all eventually ends up in the harbor, right? I mean, even if it melts on the street, it's ending up in the harbor at some point. I don't know what they do it after they bring it to this this dumping. Well, I heard they had bought these big melting machines. <laughs> Did you hear that? They bought two new melting machines, and apparently they have like five of these. But I don't know where all the water goes. I don't know what happens. I, I don't know what they would do with it. But so the the highway, which is usually like four lanes wide on the southbound side, was really only like two, you know, two and a half lanes wide. So the a whole entire lane was just plowed snow. So as we were on our way home last night at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, these big backhoes were, were scooping up these huge mounds of snow and putting it into these dump trucks. I, I mean, I, it had they had to be, each dump truck had to carry at least, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, but I'm going to say like 15 cubic yards of snow. The, the triaxle dump trucks, the big ones? The huge ones, yeah. yeah like little cities on wheels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was, and we were laughing like I can't. But you know, Boston has... It, it really, it's jammed in there. It's a very Yeah, old if anybody city. hasn't ever been there, you can't drive there on a dry uh, summer day. <laughs> the streets no, are so narrow. Like yeah. And the worst part about it, this was, I was ready to kill somebody, like literally and figuratively. We're driving through Somerville, which is difficult enough. You can't see around corners because the snow is piled high. And there are these people, whether they're just people, eco friendly people or messenger people, but they're on their 10 speed bikes. And they're like whizzing around. In that cold? Ugh. And I said, that is the ultimate and stupid because A, not only is it dangerous to drive in Boston on a bike on a dry day, you can't see around. There's all the snow. Not the, the streets are slushy and it's 20 degrees, so they're slushy and icy. And it was dusk. And it's 20 degrees. So you're like, how important is it? Take the tea, for God's sakes. <laughs> Take the damn tea. And that was even, I mean, your subways were not running, the trains weren't running, the buses were stuck. I mean, you had, they had everything up there. Yeah, poor Boston, really, they're, they're getting hit. And there has not really been a day over 30 degrees, so the snow goes nowhere. And I don't think the kids have been to school in a long time, have they? It's been a long I'm, time. I'm a little out of touch with what's happening with yeah. the schools up there, but um, Gracie only lost like a, probably two days total so far. But we get a heck of a lot. Less than than Boston. I'll tell you, moving two hours south has made a huge difference in this amount of snowfall that we've had. <laughs> yeah. Well, I gotta say, honestly, I don't miss it. I really don't. What are you doing with the horses? Oh, my poor horses are losing their minds. They're just losing their minds. Brody's taken to rolling as a pastime. He's <laughs> like, I got nothing to do, so I'm just gonna find a nice snowbank and roll in it. In fact, <laughs> he he rolls onto his back and he just hangs out there for a few minutes. I'm like, what are you, a Labrador? What? Poor thing. <laughs> so sometimes I go out there and I throw snowballs at him. And Dog Dog's old, so he doesn't care. You know, just walking around the snow is enough. But they are outside. They get to go out anyway. 
yes, they have in and outs. They can go in and out of their stalls at their leisure. And the barnyard's big enough for them to get up a nice little canter. But um, it's full of chunky snow. What are they going to do? Yeah, you worry. The only thing I worry about is if there's... When it's worse is when they, there's an ice layer under the snow. Then then it's a pain. Because then you can't turn up... Then you can't do anything. Yeah, yeah. They... No, they're, they're... It's a little slick under there, but they're both of them are barefoot and... They're pretty handy with their feet. Thank <laughs> God. Ugh, I don't envy you at all of that. Or anybody, of any of our listeners that lives in New England, we're thinking about you. <laughs> I guess it's not fun. It's and gross. it gets old, and then it gets cold, and then you have all the uh, water buckets you have to keep breaking the ice out of because they become big bricks. Ugh. Ugh. I should have gotten a tank heater earlier in the winter. I, I should have, but... Yeah, I'm out there every day with my scooper, my strainer scooper. (laughs) That's a pain, too, because it gets on your gloves, and then your gloves Mm. turn into a big icicle. Ugh, (laughs) your fingers get all black and blue, and you're, like, constantly checking for the fingertips falling off. Oh, I do remember this all. I do remember. You're like, oh, I think I have frostbite. (laughs) Freaking out. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Helena. I'm sorry. And the worst of it is, you know, you, we are thinking ahead. We are thinking about spring. So I'm trying to plan like my diet and my exercise program. And, you know, you're trying to stay on track. So like, you you know, I'll run or I'll go work out or something. And then I come back and I'm like trying to eat my spinach salad. I'm like, oh, forget this. Give, yeah, me, some, this. give me some goldfish. <laughs> Life's hard enough. <laughs> yeah. I'll take a cracker Chips, with like please. five pats of butter on it. Yeah. Ice cream. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bread, fat, greasy stuff. Yeah. So it's just all kinds of wrong up here. Well, we have a couple of guests today that uh, should be fun. We have a sculptor by the name of John Lopez, but he's not your average sculptor. Uh, He does some really incredible work. And then we also have our friend Anna Twinney coming back. She'll uh, She's going to talk to us about a new project that she's working on to help save the wild horses, which, of course, she is... uh, adamantly involved with and helping to train the youngsters up and teach people to train them. So uh, we're, we're going to be talking to her at the end of the show today. So we have all kinds of fun stuff planned for you. I went to uh, uh, Jennifer's dad was in town and we took them over to see the gala of Royal horses, which is a show that's now traveling across the country. I had never heard of it till like two days ago, and somebody from Acala posted it on Facebook, and they had it at the uh, Livestock Arena down here. Yeah. So we went to it, and you know, for thirty bucks, it was actually not too bad a show. Uh, you know, it's not Cavalia, which, but then those tickets are a hundred dollars, right? Right. So yeah. it, it wasn't too bad a show. It was, for, you know, they had a, maybe ten, twelve horses, uh, Andalusians, Frisians, and uh, other of the uh, Spanish breeds. Hmm. There might have been a PRE thrown in there, and all white and black horses, actually. That they, What's they a PRE? Uh, I can't remember the technical name for it, but uh, uh, Gloria Austin from down here in Florida drives a four-in-hand PRE. When I did the four-in-hand driving of, of uh, horses, that was her PREs, her Spanish horses. They're all Baroque horses. You know, they all have that Baroque uh, background. <clears throat> so it was neat to... Uh, oh, here it is. Pura Raza Española. Yeah, I couldn't say it. It's an Andalusian <laughs> known as a pure Spanish it. horse. Okay, got it. Pura there, was, there was some stuff we hadn't seen. I mentioned it on the morning show this morning. The one thing that I was fascinated with, and I knew you would be too, is they had the Spanish rider and his, uh, his whole get up. 
and they mm-hmm. had the Spanish girl in her her Spanish looking dress with her like high heels on, right? Yeah. But she was sitting behind him, and you normally you see her sitting behind him, and she's riding with a foot in each side. She was not, and she was not on a saddle. She was just sitting on the horse's rump. I think it was one of the Andalusians, and she had both feet to one side. Um, so she like was side saddle. She was riding sideways. Well, with no saddle, just okay. sitting on the horse's rump in her dress. Okay. And he was walk, trotting, and cantering. Oh, my. And she stayed on. And I don't know how she stayed on. It's the first time I've ever seen that, somebody riding that way. I don't know if they stapled her to the horse or they had Velcro under there. I don't know how she stayed on the horse. Because when they were cantering, she was just with the horse. She had great rhythm. <laughs> but it wasn't like, it wasn't... Um... It wasn't side saddle. No, she was not on a saddle. He was on a saddle. She was just sitting on the back of the rump of the horse. Now she, she, oh, she, she was riding riding aside, but bareback. Bareback behind him. Now, she had her okay. arm wrapped around his waist, and the other arm was free. Um, but she, I don't know how she stayed on. <laughs> I don't really know how she stayed on. You know, okay. it, she couldn't have tensed up. You would have had to be really relaxed, right? Because you have to go with the movement of the horse, especially oh, at totally. the canter, yeah. you know? Yeah. So she's gone with the movement of the horse. If she'd tensed up at all, she'd have been gone. <laughs> I don't know how she would have never stayed on. It was That was cool. I'd never seen that before. So there were a couple things like that they did in the show that, that I had never seen before. Okay. And they did a training thing where they taught, taught, they t- showed you with three different horses that were at three different levels of training how they teach the Spanish walk, which was kind of cool because the one that could really do it could really do it. Mm. Uh, he Spanish walked the whole length of the arena and looked good doing it because he's like this gray and illusion, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, he did it really well. But it was, uh, it was really cool. And the manes on those Frisians and Andalusians, oh, my God. Uh, you wish you had hair like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> uh, they were, that was, so it was neat. I would say if it, it's going to be traveling the country, it's called the Gala of Royal Horses. I paid 30 bucks each for the tickets, and I would say it was worth 30 bucks. I would say it probably wasn't worth 50 bucks, but it okay. was worth 30 bucks. Uh, and it was a two hour show. I mean, they put on a full show, uh, but you know, it, it wasn't quite the production value. They did have a live band. Uh, they actually had a drummer, the bongo drummer. They had a guy playing like that Spanish guitar thing. Oh, they I had love a, that. Spanish they had guitar. a couple singers, and they were singing a lot of the songs they sang, and they played themselves some canned music, but a lot of it they sang themselves. Uh, and they got the boards out. You know how they do with the Pasifinos? They they have yeah. these boards and they dance on the boards. They, well, yeah, yeah, real fast. Well, they didn't have any Pasifinos. But they used the, the one of the Andalusians or Tricaners or something. I don't know. Uh, they used one of them, and they came on, and they, they had a, a, a Spanish dancer in clogs on the board, a female dancing. And then this guy came out, and they actually, the female danced with the guy on the horse on the board. Like and a the flamenco hor- dancer? It was a flamenco dancer. That's exactly what it was. But the horse was doing it, too. And that was kind of cool. Ooh. That was really neat to watch because the horse was stomping as fast as he could, and then she was stomping. But it wasn't a Pasifino. It was one of their... Uh, he was doing the Spanish walk and all different kinds of stuff. And it was neat seeing the dancer on the ground and then the horse and the guy riding. That was pretty cool. That was ah. pretty cool. That's yeah, something I hadn't seen before either. Uh, so there were some things you ha- you've never seen before that they were doing. Okay. Uh, yep. That was cool. So I would recommend it. If it comes to your area, go see it. Uh, I have nothing vested in it. What was really sad is we're in the horse capital of the world. Every horse person that uh, can be here is here right now. And there were maybe 200 people in the audience. And I could tell that they were disappointed in the turnout. 
Aww. Yeah, it, there was not a big turnout. But then it wasn't very well advertised either. So uh, it's partly on them. Yeah. But Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping that picks up as they go across the country. Yeah. I mean, you got to do... Or they're you not going to pay for gas if it doesn't. <laughs> <They're> the <one. laughs> they won't be paying. Yeah, you got to promote your thing. You know, it's yeah. it's it's hard. You definitely got to do the promoting. So let's do this. Let's head to our first guest. Uh, he is his name is John Lopez. He is a sculptor, and he but he does a different kind of sculpting, and that is he uses scrap metal to make the most amazing pieces you've ever seen. Uh, and I was just blown away by this guy because we've all seen people sculpt in clay, right? Or bronze or whatever. Yeah. We've all seen those, but we, you've not seen this. I mean, he really does amazing, amazing stuff with metal, scrap metal. Mm. And, and it's colorful. It's fine. It's just cool. I would, I would definitely, if I could afford it, buy one of his pieces. Uh, so let's talk to John and see how he got into that. <laughs> Monty Roberts has been using and talking about CoreGem for four years now. CoreGem is one of the leading suppliers of Brazilian killer bee propolis, both in liquid and cream. As horse owners, we want a topical product that provides superior results for girthage, saddle irritation, rain rot, and all fungal issues, even scratches and ringworm. CoreGem does it all. We also want a product that heals wounds fast and minimizes the appearance of scars. CoreGem does that. That too. And we wanted to regrow hair in affected area and reduce skin inflammation, and Corgem does that. Plus, it contains no steroids, antibiotics, or chloride. It is non-toxic. It's even safe when your horses lick it, and we know they will. Used and recommended by veterinarians, breeders, and trainers from all over. Get Corgem today at CorgemAnimals.com. That's C-O-R-I-G-E-M-Animals.com. And use the coupon code HRA. N2015. That stands for Horse Radio Network. HRN2015 and get 10% off your next order just because you're a listener to this show. That's HRN2015 at CorrigimAnimals.com. Well, hi, John. Welcome to the Stable Scoop Show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Now, we were just talking, Helena lives up uh, up by Boston, up there in Rhode Island, and we were talking about what a nightmare winter they're having. You live, where do you live? You live in South Dakota? Yep, I live right on the border between North and South Dakota and just over into South Dakota. Now, is it really bad there this year, or is New England getting it worse than you guys for a change? Oh, my gosh, we are having it so easy this year. Helena <laughs> uh, <we had> <laughs> doesn't want to hear some... this. <laughs> We've had some horrible, horrible um, winters here that have killed cattle, and it's just been so we're really lucking out this year. Yeah, you haven't had a lot of snow, have you, really? Not really, and just got done at the Black Hill Stock Show here a week ago, and they there was like 70-degree weather during that. In South Dakota? Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) And it's usually so miserable you can't to get out of your car to walk into the Civic Center, but it was really, really refreshing. Nice. Well, enjoy this. Winter ain't over yet, John. So enjoy <laughs> it while you can. <laughs> well, good for you. I'm happy for you guys. You usually have horrendous winters, and I always feel bad for the poor guys that work on the oil wells and stuff up there. It's like, oh, man, how do they do that? Ugh. Well, the, just the ranchers, you know, going out and feeding their cattle and trying to keep their 
cattle and horses alive through the winter sometimes is, you know, just a lot, yeah. a lot of work. Well, now, were you a rancher before you got into the art business? Yeah, I grew up on a ranch. Anyway, I don't know if I've ever really been a rancher, but um, my dad is a rancher and, and my brothers and, you know, most everybody in my family. And um, I live up, I have a little ranch at probably three miles east of town here where I grew up. And my dad lives around here and my mom. And and so, yeah, I just grew up horseback pretty much going to brandings and and sorting cattle and and just we raised quarter horses and and we'd bring wean the baby colts in the fall and we had an annual horse sale every year in uh one of the local towns so yeah ranching is kind of my background you know so you have a very intimate knowledge of of the horse's body or or these animals bodies because um i think only somebody who's really put their hands on an animal or got up close can can capture their physicality the way you have the artistry is something altogether but maybe we can talk first about the 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 physicality that you portray in this Uh, is there do you have this image in your mind of like like what a cow is going to be like before you start based on your knowledge of his body? Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I am coming at this as a sculptor and I have a background as in in sculpture and, and I studied anatomy in in college and just kind of used to cast a lot of bronze sculptures and sell tabletop bronzes. And so when I was doing the bronze, castings when I started first started my career um different people would critique my horses or um tell me what I was doing wrong or different things and so I went through 10 or 15 years of sculpting in clay before I would do these scrap iron pieces and then growing up around animals and you know we raised quarter horses I think that that really did help that I watch how animals move and sidestep and spook and and all those things and and you just um it's kind of a natural thing for me because i'm so used to being around them so you mentioned that you 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 know we have we haven't really said much about how you sculpt today and and it is using scrap iron scrap parts uh and taking all of these parts and making them into what are really incredible pieces of art did how that happened? Did you end up at the recycle center one day and raided the bin and said, "I'm going to take these home and make something out of them"? How that happened? <laughs> no. Do they I, like have you on a wanted poster? You're not li- allowed at the recycle center <laughs> anymore, or what? No, that's it's, me, Glenn. It's, <laughs> it's funny because at the Black Hill Stock Show, I had a sculpture there, and there's a bunch of fork silverware in it, and people would say, "Where do you get all this?" You know. And I'm just like, I, you know, nobody in my country will invite me over for supper anymore. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> but no, I went to an art show in Loveland, Colorado, a sculpture show. And there was a sculpture there of a bull or something made out of scrap iron. And I was so fascinated with that. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. And so I 
always kind of had that in the back of my mind that I was going to do something like that. My aunt Effie passed away and my uncle, I went back to the ranch to where my uncle Gino, um, Effie's husband was and spent the summer with him after the funeral and different things. And they decided to bury her on the family ranch. And she had told me uh, previously that she didn't want to be buried on the ranch. She, she wanted to be buried with her parents. And so what did Gino do? He went completely against her wishes and buried her on the ranch anyway. So I thought, well, I'm going to make a guy named Gino does that. Doesn't he? The guy named (laughs) Gino, I'm saying that for Helena's benefit, who comes from a very Italian family. So (laughs) not arguing. Yeah. Not arguing. So I thought I want to make this the coolest thing, the coolest cemetery and make a really cool gate for it. And, so I spent the summer down there with Gino. Actually, I spent the next four years down with Gino because after I did this gate and angel or whatever, I thought, you know, what? I'm going to try and do a horse because this was, it just came together. So it was so much fun. And then it's just like a whole new part of my career opened up because I was getting kind of burnt out of the bronze sculpting and it was really hard for me to stand out my style and different things. And this just kind of was a new direction, and I totally went for it. Where do you and find I, the where do you find the stuff, the junk to put <laughs> to to, uh, to make into horses? <laughs> it, well, it is before he does something with it. Well, luckily, Gino had a lot of junk, <laughs> and every ranch up the farm. <laughs> has a scrap pile. You know, every ranch has some kind of scrap pile behind the shop or something. And True. Gino collected, you know, he just, he'd go to auctions and he'd buy different things. And Effie was always trying to, you know, get rid of the stuff and clean it. And he was always dragging it in. So um, he said, just use whatever you want. Just take it and use it. And he had a bunch of oil well pipe that he was building corrals out of. And so I'd use that for the framework. And uh, so this new book that I have that's just coming out kind of talks tell some of the funny stories about Gino might have been on the phone with one of his favorite neighbors when I asked him if I could use some rebar behind the shot and he's like yeah sure whatever just get out of here (laughs) (laughs) so um, anyway it was that was some of the the funnest times down there just and I I, you know he kind of took care of me those four years and I could just kind of experiment with these different styles of sculpture in his shop. And then he was raising horses there too. And so if I wanted to get out of the shop, I'd go out and take pictures of the colts for the horse sale or halter break them or, and uh, just loved it. It was, that was such an amazing time. Mm. And to give people an idea of that, what we're talking about junk parts in the sculptures, I'm looking at a sculpture of a horse head that's absolutely amazing. And it's made out of wrenches and pliers and horse toys. There's a, there's a briar horse in there. There's chain that you would find a bike chain or, or, or you know, that kind of chain. I mean, it's just, a, it's just scrap metal parts, washers, just <laughs> shovels. Shovels seem to be good for rumps. Uh, I noticed that you use shovels a lot on the rumps, which is perfect because it's kind of rump shaped. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah it is. And it has that little line in there that goes right down the middle of it. Yeah. Kind of like this. So, yeah, it's yeah, perfect. And saddles, I see you you use uh, old tractor seats for saddles. I, That's it's cool. it's yeah. just amazing stuff. It really, really is. In, in one one photo, you are actually working on a horse who's in motion. Um, it's probably some kind of drafty breed because you've used chains to for feathers for the horse's feathers. What else? What else have you used for feathers? Because feathers are like they, they they add so much drama to the living animal, and then of course to your sculptures. What else have you used for feathers? Well, the reason I use that chain just to. Um, I use that chain a lot because if a kid comes up and it moves when you hit it, it's kind of got an interactive thing. Uh, so that's why I like to use the chain for like geez. a sheep's wool or for a horse's um, mane or tail or whatever. Um, that is so, so cool. Used is like um, I have a plasma cutter, and so I can just take and cut these cool little shapes out of some tin, and then I'll just well that on there and, and it's kind of a abstract uh like the Frisian. I did a Frisian and for the feathering on his feet I just used cut tin. I see and that. The Frisian's that, amazing by the way. Totally different than your other ones because it's uh, you know it's not rust colored. Um it, it, it the Frisian's just amazing. Yeah, they wanted um that piece went to New Hampshire and they raised Frisian and she said, I, we want the piece to be black. Is that going to be a problem? Is that going to change the, you know, the look of the piece? And I, I was a little nervous about it because I thought it could either ruin, you know, it could just flatten the whole thing and it just looks like flat or a black strap iron. And that's exactly what happened. And then I, um, so I was playing around with a little bit of it some silver paint and just kind of dusted it a little bit and it just popped right back to life. So that was a, a really um, lucky kind of a experiment and it, it really worked out great. Mm. Uh, yeah. They have, have to you, be happy with it. Have you always, um, I mean, did, did you sort of have an idea that you would, that sculpting would be your thing or when did you know that sculpting was where you was your bliss, so to speak? I think I first figured that out in college. Um, when I went to uh, Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and I took a required sculpture class. And um, I think I went in for to be an art teacher or something like that. And this required sculpture class just totally took my... Um, all my attention. And then we'd take our project and cast it into bronze. And I just fell in love with the bronze casting process. And so that's kind of where the beginning of it started. And, um, I just love the idea of being able to sculpt some of these wild horse wrecks that Charles Russell painted, you know, and maybe turning one of his amazing paintings into a sculpture or something. And, so I was very fascinated with his work and, and the, the way the horses and cattle and everything was always in action, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that's my love of my love of art kind of just came naturally from growing up on these cow camps. My dad always had calendars with Charles Russell paintings on them. And my mom was paint. She was always painting or 
did needlepoint. And so we grew up in kind of a crafty home, you know, artsy mm. home. And, well, I- uh, I got to tell you, when you when people go to your website, it's johnlopezstudio.com, and they get to the homepage and they see that bull that you have on uh, the bull you have with the horns on the homepage is just striking. I mean, and it's it, got, it is. It's jaw dropping. It, it really is. is. And it's it got is. a guitar in it. I mean, it's got a guitar. It's got all kinds of parts and pieces. It's got several guitars. Oh yeah, the long the longhorn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's got a fiddle, and I mean, it's just got. It's just incredible the way you made it work. How long does something like that take? Mm. That probably four or five months. I believe I sculpted out in clay first. Really? Just, just the initial um, form. Of okay, that I would not have guessed. That I would not yeah. have guessed. Yeah. Yeah. Just the way that his head is turned and the way his legs are going to be, so that I have a something to measure when I'm in the shop. You know, because I. You know, I can wing it, and on the first four or five pieces that I did, I just kind of, you know, wung it or winged it or whatever. Yeah. But now I want, I've just kind of perfected it to where it's got to be, the the way that my work can stand out and really move people is it's got to look alive. It's got to look like it can walk away, and that's kind of the mind-blowing part is, the eye, you know, the eyes and the life in it and the movement and, and it's just kind of, uh, it, um, how can you get something that's made out of scrap iron to look alive? And so that's kind of what, you know, the direction I'm, I'm trying to go with it. Not trying. You are going with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I've never I seen did. anything like it and that's why I wanted to get you on. I just. Yeah. You bet. It was amazing. Now, I horse. Did. I want to give credit here real quick to horsecollaborative.com is a website that everybody has to check out. And that's where I found you. Carly Sparks had done an article on Horse Collaborative, and I found it over there. And, and uh, you know, can people order one from you? They say, I send you a picture or whatever and say, I want one of my horse or my breed or like the Frisian one. Yeah, they could. I don't, I, I'm working on some commission pieces right now. I'm, only one, I'm the only guy that can, I'm kind of a one-man show, mm-hmm. so I don't really, I can't really produce a lot of pieces. I do probably four, maybe four big pieces a year or, or three or something like that. And But what I do have that a lot of people can enjoy is this coffee table book. And it's got pictures of all the pieces you're talking about and tells the stories about where I grew up and the people that I get the scrap iron from and some of the characters and experiences that happen when you go to pick up the iron and, and, um, and just like the Ernestine Miller is one of our closest neighbors and she's probably never driven a car. She's like almost a hundred years old. And some of those people, some of those characters are the people that I meet and grew up around and they're like, yeah, come go through the scrap pile and take whatever you you need, you know, and they love to see and hear about the different trips that I've been on and where some of the sculptures are going. And, and, um, but yeah, I, I do, I do commissions, but I'm getting to where I'm, I'm only doing the ones that I really want to do, you know? Yeah. Well, and where can people get the book? They can go to my website, com. And that's where you can get it. 
All right, and I see, actually, I do see it in here. That would look like be a fun book to have. Uh, so, JohnLopezStudio.com. Thank you so much for joining us, John, and uh, what fascinating work. You can be proud Absolutely. of uh, what you've done. Thank you so much. I'm glad to talk to you guys. We all know the importance of deworming our horses, and Dr. Ellefson of Biomedia Equine is helping us make sure we are doing it right. Listen for his four-part series the first week of every month on this very show. I just wanted to remind everyone, if you are due for deworming, why not save a few bucks on the popular Biomedia line of wormers, including Equimax, Bimectin, Exodus, Exodus Multidose, and Equal. You can find coupons and special offers at buymediaequine.com, including a variety of rebate offers from cash to free ivermectin. You can also get up to $2 a dose back for Equimax. And while you're at Buy Media Equine, get your free horse health record keeper, and you can just download it there. Plus, learn a bunch about parasites and deworming at Buy Media. That's B I M E D A Equine.com. We at the Horse Radio Network all use Buy Media dewormers because we want the best for our horses, and we know you want the best for yours too. Buy me to equine.com and tell them the Horse Radio Network sent you. Well, next up, uh, we're, we're excited to have Anna Twinney back with us, and it has been a while, Anna. It, it's been a while. It, it's all on you, that one, Glenn. Yeah, it is kind of. It is kind of on me. I, I, I will say that. It is kind of on me. We've done some fascinating shows together in the past. We have. You know? we have. And Anna's been with us probably since the beginning, which is almost seven years ago now that we long started time. doing this. Uh, so uh, we, we do appreciate you coming back. And you have a new project you're working on. Tell everybody about it. I have, and thank you so much for having me back. And for those that do know me, for those that don't, I've been involved with gentling Mustangs for close to 20 years now, having started in California, and then I've gone all over with it, um, gentling the wild ones and actually going up to the North Dakota and gentling there too. And what I found is this, Glenn, that we have more than 50,000 Mustangs in holding facilities. So the roundups mean that they're taking them off of America's land and putting them into holding facilities with less than 28,000 Mustangs still out on the range. The little that we contribute with Reach Out to Horses means that we bring the awareness and we also save a certain amount of Mustangs each year and we gentle them. The view is to get their forever homes, be it that my students that are coming on as trainers in Reach Out to Horses methodologies or be it that people are bringing in Mustangs themselves or saving the Mustangs that they come on these courses. And in a roundabout way, I've teamed with the BLM in as far as we get those horses. I'm not an official trainer of theirs. We've gone through the red tape, and ultimately, we've got a high, high success rate. And from their mouths, we've got one of the highest success rates of adopting the horses out. And for them, that's what counts is how many horses get adopted out. Well, having done that, we've, we take our students out on the range to watch the wild horses, and it is important to me, and I'm sure to many, many others, to realize that, yes, they're fenced in, there's fences, there's no such thing as wild horses anymore, but ultimately they're roaming the land. And how wonderful when people fly in from Denmark and Germany and France and all over the world come to these courses and they see the wild horses, and it's like seeing them in their natural habitat. And it's a huge solution to keep the wild ones out there, one solution, and I know there's many factors that we're looking at and that we're up against, um, be it the farmers, be it water rights, be it oil rights and all these rights, that it's not necessarily just about ranchers. But when we truly uncover this, Glenn, what we notice is that there are more solutions and we've filmed like a fly in the wall 
segment of gentling the wild horses at one of the clinics and 45 hours worth of material got condensed down to like three hours or just over three hours and we put it in a dvd and it's an amazing dvd because it's live you know it wasn't created for the tv screen it was created while you watch a certain amount of headcount of wild horses because their language is so intricate you learn so much and every domestic course goes back to that so this is a dvd for every Everybody. And it means that it's going to speak to people that want to learn the language of the horse, energy, body language, telepathy, those that want to learn it to bring it back to their domestic horses, the spooky ones, those have been abused, those that have adopted a Mustang and don't know how to make their headway because they can't touch the horse, those that are in any of these makeovers, extreme makeovers, etc. This is a violent free way. This is talking the language. This isn't about putting a rope around their head, about driving them miles in the round pen, putting them in shoots. This is about advance and retreat, about energetic connection. So I feel like it's taking the Mustang Gentling a step deeper, a step further, and showing people that even if they've adopted a horse and they still can't touch them, there's a way forward, there's an answer, there's a solution. What does, what does this all mean? It means that I feel like we have a solution for those that have been rounded up. If there's not a way to get them back out there, there's a way to gentle them in a nice way, not to make it for profit, not to make it that they're a commodity, to truly look at the time span that horses, wild horses take a bit longer. But that's not the solution in itself because the solution is about keeping these wild ones out on the range. And when we look at the millions being spent every year, and I've been quoted that it's like 80 million being spent, and we compare this to the the horses that are either in captivity or out on the range, how else can we do it? How can we prevent the roundup? How can we prevent herds being split up, horses running their feet off, you know, horses being injured or worse, killed? Is there another way? Now, one way that was introduced was bait trapping, which is a little kinder on the horse, so to speak, but it's still disrupting the herd dynamics, still causing them to be, I'm going to put a strong word in here, what I class to be a concentration camp, because ultimately the horses are split up, they're standing in, in pens, it's sad pens, some don't have shelters, and what are they waiting for? What are they waiting for? For the tent to be adopted, or are they waiting for death at the end of the row? I believe that can be changed. And I've worked quite closely with Jay um, Kirkpatrick over the years, and he comes to the courses, and he is the founder and creator of PZP, which is a natural birth control. And I do believe that this is the solution. It costs no more. It's under $30 per head per mare to make sure that they have the birth control. So you do the maths on that. Basically, we go out and you've got to dart the mares. You still have to a point a natural herd dynamic, to a point because it's birth control. Um, the mares can be controlled as to when they give birth for the first time so their body score can be taken care of. Everybody has the birthright to have a baby and it's reversible. Hmm. For, for me, it's a win-win, right? It's a win-win. So, so we created the DVD. And our dream, our hope, is to help on so many facets. We've got Jay on the DVD, we've got wild horse behavior, we've got gentling techniques, water gentling techniques, pole gentling. And what we're asking for, 
truly is only shipping. You may, might have heard that before by other people, but know this with us, it's honestly true. We're asking $10, which would take care of the shipping, the postage, the tracking, and maybe the mileage to get there. It doesn't even take care of staff to do it. And it doesn't take care of the creation of the DVD and the hours spent creating it. So in effect, we're matching it to go, can somebody donate 10 bucks or 100 or 1,000? And my dream is to get this DVD to government officials, government agencies, the BLM, nonprofits, senators, and reach far beyond United States, taking it to England, taking it to Australia, where they are looking to model on the BLM, looking to model on that, which I don't think is the solution at this time. And we want to get it out there to show people you don't have to choke and rope your horses and you don't mm. have to round them up. We have the solution. Wow. <laughs> I know, wow. you, I know you gave me free reign and said, here's what you have. But what you did was you covered just about every point. So I'm basically, you did my job for me. Um, so, but I have a question that, that is probably yeah. answered in the DVD, but I, let's give our audience a little bit of a teaser. You you talk about, um, and, and the story of the campaign here, it, that wild horses being trained um, really do need to be trained differently. And then you've touched on that in your discussion today. Um, why, what would be their ultimate, I you see it's hard when you, when we take wild Mustangs and we can't leave them wild where they are as much as we yeah. would like to, um, we're training them for a different purpose. We don't want to make them commodities. Um, not all of them are suitable for, for riding horses. What, what is the benefit to them? What can they be and do other than be wild Mustangs, other than be fully wild? You, you, you know, actually, Helena, they're, they're really amazing horses. I have a Spanish Mustang. I've had him since he was tiny. And admittedly, he was bred on 4,500 acres, hence he's called Spanish Mustang. And he's amazing. And Excalibur's the star on multiple DVDs, and he goes to expos. He's not the only one. I mean, we, we know this from the extreme Mustang makeovers to make a Mustang million, et cetera, et cetera. These horses are incredible. You all have different bloodlines in the Mustang. So you have the smaller Spanish Mustang and then you can have larger, which might have had like a ranch horse or a cavalry horse influence in there. And there's truly nothing that they can't do. So it will range from somebody being a pasture puff, taking care of somebody else, you know, that they, they want to be left alone and they've really fought for their freedom all the way through to children's horses, to hunter jumper, jumper, dressage, long distance riding. I mean, they are fabulous for that. So somebody's looking to look at liberty work or uh, looking at counseling and horses for heroes. Here's the thing. I've really focused on this a lot lately because the horses are brought in in every aspect to support people. And it feels like they're very spiritual and they're going into the spiritual realm to help with therapeutic riding, life coaching um, with the heroes, etc. They could certainly go in any aspect if they volunteer. For me, it's about if they see this as a commitment or they see this as their life path, absolutely. We can support them in creating that opening. If we force them, I don't think that's fair because you, you ultimately can't always take the wild out of the wild. And there's a piece of them that the intricacies of the language are so 
deep and they're going to teach you the whisper, how to capture it and how to speak. And some of them are going to be wounded by the experiences that they've gone through while others will discard that baggage and move forward. So there's not one answer. It just means but you're, that but, they're, they're equal. You know, they're easily equal. And I guess some people right. will look down on them for sure, but they're easily equal as every other horse on this planet and then some. But as useful creatures, as, as partners, as human partners. Yeah. So they they are not necessarily commodities to buy and be sold, but um, right. useful as, like, as you said, in a div- diverse uses from pasture pets to therapeutic horses to riding horses. So as yeah. our companions, as companion yeah. horses. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's finding that right match. And, and for me, when I'm teaching my students, a lot of this is about the unconditional love and truly so, because if you fall in love with that one, you don't know where the opening's going to be. So I've had people come to the course saying, I'm going to adopt this horse and he's going to be a driving horse. It's, it's not that simple. You don't know if he's going to be open to that. You don't know if his body type is the right type. You don't know how long it's going to take to get there. And if you don't want to ride and you just want to go into driving, that horse needs experience and he's only two. So how are you going to get there? So I do feel like people need the open mind to walk into this to say, let's see where this relationship goes. It's not like buying your Dutch warm blood, for example, and going into show jumping because the lineage has already given you that. There's not necessarily a lineage. It's a lineage of wild horse. So we have to keep open minds and open hearts to realize that it's the unknown that you're walking into. You know, Elisa Wallace, who's an eventer from down here in Florida, and I know you probably know Elisa, has done many Mustang makeovers and done very well. And she's an eventer and has taken her Mustangs eventing and done demonstrations and things. But not all of them have worked out for eventing. It's just what you're talking yeah. about. You know, and she, you know, she, she has uh, sent them on their way to whatever they're good at. Uh, yeah. You know, and that goes, I mean, mm. that's true not just for Mustangs, right? I mean, that's true for any yeah. horse. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't matter yeah. the age, the breed, the color. You know, people will fall in love with the Frisian and then go, okay, I'm expecting him to go into fourth level dressage. He may or may not be able to do that. And mm-hmm. so, exactly, any breed, every breed, you know, age, all of the disposition, you've got to kind of be open to it. And you look at that with the racehorse world, right? So we're not excluding oh, yeah, anybody with here. The OTTBs, especially. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Some some yeah. don't want to jump. Some want to jump. I mean, it's it's uh, all depends on what they want to do. Yeah, uh, you know, we we've had certainly had horses over the years that we've had, and Jennifer's tried to get them into eventing or whatever, and they just weren't having any parts of it. And uh, you know, we'd find out later sometimes in some cases that you know the one especially just was not figuring out dressage, just nothing. We found out this horse had been a champion barrel horse before we got it. We didn't know that at the time. And that horse was not going to do anything but run fast around barrels. It's just what he had his heart set on, and that's what he did. And we ended up selling him as a barrel horse again. So, you know, because he was not... Yeah, he just, Mm. that's what he wanted to do. (laughs) That horse was not going to be good at anything else and just wasn't taking the cross training very well. So it's like, okay, well, he wants to go back to doing what he does. So that's what he ended up doing. Uh, But where can people help you out? What's, uh, What's the story? Well, we have several ways, actually, Glenn. We've set it up. We've set the Indiegogo uh, campaign up. We've got $1,000 in our bank there. We're aiming for 10000 So for every $10 
one DVD will go out and my aim is to get a thousand DVDs out there to wherever they're needed from equestrian centers to centers to retreat places to um, equine facilitated learning. Like I said, all of these places, if we can get a foot in the door, we can make a difference because I feel like the more the public realize that one, these horses are safe out on the land absolutely safe and we've visited the McCullough Peaks and the Prior Mountains annually and then there are also wild horses here in Colorado they are safe they are well they are fat they are healthy and yes they've got to be managed because the land can only sustain so much and that's a whole topic in itself but let's put it like this when the public realize that the solution is there and the solution is not to pay money for 50000 to be in holding pens, let's pay money to keep them on the range. So there's another way to do that. And one way to do that is the PZP, which is birth control. And there's no negative side effect that I know of with that. So this is about education. I can be on a radio show, in a magazine, etc. But if we get the DVDs out there, they can be played, you know, at these centers and Hundreds of people can watch them. And even if they learn something for themselves, for their horses, for their Mustangs, and they make a difference, that's how we will change the law, and that's how we'll bring awareness forward. And you can find it at reachouttohorses.com. It's where you can find the link to it. Just scroll down, and you'll see the link to Save the American Mustang right there. Uh, And, of course, uh, all of other Anna's uh, projects and things that she does are on there as well. So it's reachouttohorses.com. Thanks, Anna. This Pack and Habit segment is sponsored by Flirting with the World. Visit us at flirtingwiththeworld.com for all your style questions. I know you've been posting some uh, fun stuff up there. Yeah, I know. A good job. Yes. Thanks. Lots of eye candy. It's developing a personality, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Hopefully I've been watching. Yeah, okay, good, good. There's a lot of Helena in it. I'll put some more I'll put some more guy <laughs> stuff up for you. Okay, all right, good. Yeah, because I need all the help I can get. <laughs> all right, let's take a listen. Hi, Glenn, back with you from the American Equestrian Trade Association in Philadelphia. And I walked around and I was looking for unique, different products like I do every time we come here every six months. And I found Gale. And Gale is with a company called Bite Light. And it was not something I expected to see here. Uh, and uh, hi, Gale. Hi, Glenn. How are you? You're director of sales of this company. And let me tell you, it's different because it's not something that we see at this show very often. And tell us what Bite Light is. Well, Bite Light is a company that started about five years ago. Um, It's a um, a subsidiary of the parent, Badukian Research, who's been in the business for 43 years. And uh, we wanted to have a place that, as we uh, developed more retail products, uh, this would be the place because the parent sells formulas that go or chemicals that go into flavor, fragrance, and insect pheromones. It's called, yeah. And anyway, so uh, the way we got started was uh, we saw monkeys at a zoo in Florida called the Friends Sanctuary, and they were observed by a zoologist that we know rubbing their furs with the citrus products that they received. So they figured out that there was some repellency factor in the lemons and limes that they got. And so our scientists. Uh, Either that or just smelled good. Well, that too. (laughs) But we came up with a formula because we figured they knew something that we didn't. And that's how our candles came into play. Our mosquito repellent candles, they're natural. 
um, our actives are lemongrass and spearmint, and we introduce the candles to the monkeys uh, in a soy patty. And actually, you can go to our website, and you can see the monkey story video. You can actually see them using the fruit first, and then our candles. So we kind of, that's how we got launched. Uh, and then from there, we did testing in the Florida swamps in 2011, got great result, results. We got a, well, let a me white tell you, paper. if you're going to repel bugs, the Florida swamps are the place to do it. We got I eight. live in Florida, oh, I know. Do you? <laughs> well, it was near Gainesville, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I live in Ocala, so. Okay. Yeah. Well, we, used, we know about mosquitoes and bugs. Well, we actually got the results for 84.1% reduction in attraction to the traps there. So it was really great results. We also did another test uh, and came up with um, that we were two times, at least if not more, better than citronella. Which is what the candles we're all familiar with is the citronella candles. You buy them at Walmart or whatever. Exactly, and, yeah. and they're really cheap. And, and one of the when reasons... When you're having a picnic, you light one on the table. Yeah, right. and, and, it, and it smells. It's smoky. Right. Because if you really look at the labels, you'll see very little citronella in there. I mean, citronella is a natural oil, but there's so little in it, what you're doing is you're burning this paraffin smoke. And that's why you smell dirty and, and, and sooty. With so ours... This is different then? This very, doesn't do that? No, very different. And what you do with ours is you light them 20 minutes beforehand. And what happens is the pool of wax will form. And that's what releases our oils. We have about 7% of natural oils. Our actives are lemongrass and spearmint for the most part. Uh, we did put a tad of citronella in there for marketing purposes because, as you yeah, pointed out... Yeah, people are familiar with it. Right. right. Um, but our actives are really the, um, the lemongrass and spearmint, and that's and, what And really that works. repels the bugs. Yeah. yeah. Flies, mosquitoes, doesn't matter? Or? Mostly, no. We're, we're actually registered as mosquito repellent. Okay. Whether or not it will um, uh, repel others, we, we don't advertise that because right. we're actually, we are legal. Well, those mosquitoes products. are the ones that hurt anyway. So, they, right? Yeah. They're the ones that bite you. Yeah. So, so... Now, last year, we were actually approached by a Netherlands company um, and, uh, because we are nature-inspired because of the monkeys and, right, and natural yeah. oils. And uh, they, had, they have uh, developed a um, horsefly trap. And that's what you saw. Um, Which is booth. a bizarre-looking contraption, I have to say. Very bizarre. <laughs> it's about seven feet tall it's by really four big. foot wide. It's like a tent in the middle of the field. Exactly. <laughs> and it's a professional horsefly trap. It will cover an area of five horses to a paddock, or if you're not worried about the animals so much, but maybe the area, if you have a swimming pool or what, you want to get rid of horseflies, then it covers about two and a half acres. And the concept with this, which, which is very interesting, um, is a big ball that you saw. There's big a big ball, ball, and there's kind of this tent-looking thing over top of the ball. Right. right. It's on, a, it's on a, a one-leg stand, so it's really great for mowing. And what happens is um, the ball, you put it in a hot location outside. Um, it heats up like a black T-shirt would. Okay. And yeah. so it, it's created an infrared signature, and the females are honing into this signature on the ball. And they come to the ball. They're looking for blood because that's what they do. They, they right. need to bite and get blood to reproduce. And uh, so, obviously, they come into this thing. And what's interesting is their flight pattern is vertical. And so the way the cone is developed and the ball sits, once they're in there, they're flying And they up. discover the ball isn't much fun. Exactly. Right. No much, yeah, not, yeah, not much blood in there. Uh, and then they fly upwards into the collection bin. And, that, and that's the uh, horsefly trap. And then you just empty all the little critters out every once in a while. About once a week, we recommend. Yeah. Um, you know, um, so it, it's, we're kind of excited because there's really not a lot of products out there like this. Uh, it's the first one I've ever seen. <laughs> there <laughs> is a commercial uh, a, a researcher's Would you trap. put it in the barn? No. No, no because it can't get the heat from the, well, right, that the black should, ball. And also, yeah. horseflies don't really um, live in barns. Yeah. Those are the manure flies yeah. or the other flies. They don't really bite. They're so just this, is just, this will just attract horsefly, the big nasty ones? Uh, they also will attract other... Uh, 
um, other tapenids, um, deer flies, um, which uh, green diseases. flies. So, yeah. Um, we're actually doing testing in the flora in Florida again, in the swamp, and also in. A, in I'll tell a you farm. what, if you've ever lived in Massachusetts in July, you know what the greenheads are. Well, <laughs> actually, we're doing testing Jeez. in Florida for the horse flies and greenheads um, in actually Barnstable, Mass. Yeah, because boy, you can't go outside in July. There's three weeks in July. Yep. It's just unbelievably yeah. nasty, and they'll bite. I mean, they bite. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. this year, we're going to continue that test, and also they're going to test in Bar- uh, I'm not Barnstable. I think it's closer to Chatham, Mass. They're going to test for the deer flies. So we're kind of excited because we, we are a scientifically-oriented uh, company. The family is you know, a bunch of scientists, and, uh, and so the science sort of um, seeps out into the bite light uh, company. And can they buy uh, the bite lights online? Yes, they can. Um, we, um, with the candles, we, we also sell online as well, the horsefly trap. Um, but we also have a store locator on our website that will uh, lead you to either okay. the candles or the, the traps. And it's bite-light, B-I-T-E-L-I-T-E dot com. Bite-light.com. Thank you, Gail. Thank you so much, Glenn. Well, that's it for this week's show. And Helena has to go back out and start shoveling because it's Ugh. snowing again since the show started, right? So <laughs> gross. Just <laughs> is gross. Uh, I feel bad. I do feel bad for everybody up there. So take care. Be safe. It's going to be really cold for, for a week or two. And uh, on top of all the snow, who needs that, right? Uh, I wonder if blanket sales have been at a record this year, you know, just from being worn out. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, probably. My horses have had theirs on for like two weeks now. I haven't even looked underneath them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But goodness knows there's plenty of horse under there because I feed them like I'm Italian. Food is love, especially in the wintertime. They get Um, all the pasta they want. (laughs) I know. Meanwhile, my little porker's sitting out the fence right now. He's looking over the fence across the yard and at my office window, like he knows I'm in here on, on taping. Um, I was going to say, I don't know what I was going to say. It had to do with horses. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for this week, Helena. If you want to listen to our our uh, show in... Crap. Cut. <laughs> Three, two, one. Best way to listen to our shows is on the app. It's uh, iPhone or Android. Just go to the App Store and search for Horse Radio Network. Stable Scoop is one of eight shows on there. You can download them or stream them or whatever you want to do. That's the simplest way to do it. I did have one person contact me and say uh, 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 that they were using up some bandwidth by listening to our shows, and I said, "Well, you got to make sure you're on a data. You know, you're you're connected uh, to Wi-Fi. You got to make sure you're connected to Wi-Fi when you download them." And yeah. that'll solve your problem. Then you won't have to worry about it. But uh, yeah, if you if you download them all through your data connection on your phone, then you so. you will be u- lo- using up your data allowance. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I would recommend doing it while you're on Wi-Fi for the downloads. Uh, just just a th- something to keep in mind for all of your programs, especially any podcast pr- uh, programs that you use. Uh, that's you want to make sure that's the case. Mm. Yeah. All right, Helena, I'm done. Whew. Stick a fork in ya. I am done too. Um, but <laughs> no, we can't. John took them all for his sculptures. There's no forks left. Oh man, apparently. those things are so good. Seriously, you guys, definitely check out John Lopez Studio because that is. I don't get impressed easily, as you know, if you've been listening very early, and his his stuff is incredibly impressive. Um, but okay, so that's it. We're done for this week, right? But there will be more next week. Until then, happy scooping. <laughs>